0: Jewish Audio on Chabad.org.
1: Welcome, everybody. This is In Conversations with Hannah. I'm Hannah Weisberg, editor of the Jewishwoman.org. I am joined today by an esteemed guest, Rabbi Dochem Kaplan, who has been an educator for many, many years, a master educator, and he recently wrote the book The Education Imperative, which talks about the Rebbe's approach to parenting and education. Thank you, Rabbi Kaplan, for joining us today.
0: Pleasure is all mine.
1: Okay, okay. Can you tell us a little before we start about your book and some? I have a lot of questions for you from your book about the Rebbe's um, attitude and approach to education. But before, can you tell us a little about yourself? A little about your very interesting and varied career in education.
0: Um, I was directed to go into the field of education by the Rebbe. I had come into an audience with the Rebbe um, to inquire about which of the positions in the active uh, synagogue rabbinate I should take. I was at a number of options, and I came in after the Rebbe had already seen the various options, and I came in for the Rebbe to choose one for me.
1: So how how many years ago are we talking
0: about? This is... uh, I have to admit, (laughs) (laughs) Josh, it's more than 50 years, 53 years ago. Wow. Okay. And in fact, almost exactly 53 years ago to the day. And um, I came in and the Rebbe looked up, looked at me and said, Why don't you want to be an educator and become a principal? Hmm. I didn't know what to answer because the Rebbe had known what uh, I was looking at and the positions that I was being offered. I stood there and he said to me, uh, they need somebody in Norfolk, Virginia. I want you to go out to Norfolk, Virginia and see they should accept you as a principal. I had no experience whatsoever. So I stood there somewhat stunned and he just told me to go and see that I get accepted. (laughs) This was on Sunday and... uh, on Friday, I made my way to Norfolk, Virginia, and the rest is history.
1: Wow. So you learned on the job, were you?
0: <laughs> well, uh, it was a small school, and I had mm-hmm. opportunities to learn. And uh, I did spend many years learning. Mm-hmm. And I think I learned something in the process.
1: Mm-hmm. And since then, you've been in a
0: number of different... I was, I was a school principal for just over 30 years. In wow. the last 20 years, I've been the director of uh, the Merkos Kinoch Office the America's Education
1: Office. So can you tell us about what would be one of your biggest challenges or successes in the field of education?
0: The challenges never stop, never cease, because in any school, regardless of its size, you have children who don't fit the norm, and they're your responsibility, and you have to make sure that those kids as well maximize their potential. So that was always the biggest challenge. I never Mm -hmm. saw anything... As a greater challenge than the individual child. Um, Successes, there are many of them. With some, we did very well, and with others, we wish we'd have done better.
1: Mm. Right. You mean, we wish we would try harder, not that the child wasn't,
0: wasn't a success. No, I, you have to find the right tools with which to be able to reach every individual. And sometimes you find it. And sometimes, whatever the circumstances are, a child is complex and comes from a background which may or may not uh, have helped exacerbate the situation. Mm-hmm. And you have to find some way of reaching him. Mm-hmm. I think we always reach the child somewhat, but not necessarily optimally.
1: Not to the best of our abilities. Right. Okay. Um, So before we go into the actual book and the many different imperatives in the book, when you think back about the Rebbe's attitude towards education, he had a very revolutionary and novel approach. You know, nowadays we're much more into customizing the curriculum and the approach for each individual child what was the Rebbe's, some of the Rebbe's revolutionary ideas that you were like blown away from years ago?
0: Well, look, the very first thing is that the Rebbe did not see education as the exclusive purview of a school, mm-hmm. and that the purpose of education is not the accumulation of knowledge. The purpose of education is to be able to educate the whole human being. It's a process that begins right after birth and continues for the rest of his or her life. And it means how one's middags are affected, the personal character traits are affected. It involves the accumulation of knowledge as well, but how we interact with others, how we, I won't say perfect, but improve ourselves to such a degree that we are capable of doing. And all this is part of educating ourselves and being educated. That's the first klal rebe said general rule.
1: So you mean when a school takes on a child it's not just to take on to educate them for the curriculum but part of the curriculum needs to be their character development and personal growth.
0: Of course look we've seen children who did exceedingly well in school and in life later on the character flaws become so pronounced they're not successful Um, certainly not to the degree that uh, we had envisioned Mm -hmm. And it's because we didn't impact them where they really live. We need to impact their character traits, their moral development, their ethical development. The Rebbe saw that as primary. The Rebbe once wrote to me.
1: You know, because just a lot of teachers come into school and they give their lesson, you know, and then they're done. So we don't, a lot of teachers don't look at it as their responsibility to look at this whole, the whole development of the child.
0: Right. The Rebbe once wrote to me that, uh, that uh, you understand, he said to me, Yodea, that the, the approach to education needs to be to find the ways through which we're able to engrave upon a child the kind of characteristics and personal traits that will make him the best human being he can be and the best Jew he can be. It's done through education of book learning relation of knowledge but ultimately that's what it is we have to engrave upon the soul of a child to maximize his potential as to who he can really become
1: and engrave is quite a a strong word you're not only talking about teaching but engraving making that who they are
0: right he used that word and he underlined it twice
1: wow and how can we do that how do we do that
0: well, the first thing is we need to look at the end game first. What, what's the potential of this child? It's infinite. And how are we impacting the child by teaching him whatever it is? If it's just teaching him some uh, book knowledge, we're not impacting the child in a real way. We have to extrapolate from that. So what do we want you to learn from it? What do we want you to take from this to make you a better human being? That's the very first step. To impact it further, we need to go ahead. No, that
1: would seem that, you know, just to do that, it would seem like we would have to meet with all the educators and parents and talk about that specific child and and have meetings about every specific child and think about where we can, where each child can can grow with that. I mean, I I don't know of anyone that does that, any school that does that. I do. You do. Okay.
0: (laughs) It's It's done in many schools. Uh-huh. that the, the team of people who in, are involved with the child meet periodically to see how the child is doing. Uh-huh. I can tell you as a school principal, I met with uh, all teachers on a regular basis, scheduled meetings, so that we could discuss every individual child.
1: Every child. That's, that's great.
0: So, you see, lesson planning is not just planning how I'm going to uh, purvey the information that I'm trying to teach. Mm-hmm. You have to see how this is going to affect the child, what the child is going to extrapolate and learn from. That's the bottom line. But you're also
1: teaching 20 to 30 students in the same class, and each of them has their own needs.
0: That's right. Nobody so, said it was easy. Right. So That's how why is, they get paid the big bucks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. So how's a teacher going to do that, I guess?
0: That's gonna... why teaching is an art. Right. Okay teacher who is able to reach uh, as many children as possible within the class is an artist of the greatest order
1: 100 percent, 100 percent. okay so i want to quote from you you write about the parents role the rebbe said uh, the rebbe often said that parents frequently do not appreciate the power of their influence and when you asked his advice on behalf of distraught parents he told you tell them they are parents and since the almighty does not expect the impossible for them He will also grant them the wisdom to deal with this. So on the other hand, the Rebbe also told you being a good parent challenges one to the core and requires a great deal of effort. So you said you spoke a little about being an educator. What does being a good parent mean today? And how can we strive to become one?
0: Well, indeed, you quoted. These are personal instructions that I had from the Rebbe. The Rebbe instructed me so. But... The Rebbe saw parenting as an extremely difficult privilege. We are privileged to have children, and we are responsible to see that those children grow up optimally, that they become, as I said earlier, everything they can become. Yes, it's difficult, but if you look at it as something which is a challenge and just difficult, it'll frustrate you. But if you look at it as a privilege that God gave us, he gave us children with abilities and with talents, innate talents and abilities. And our job is to help them maximize their potential. And it's not a job that ends after a couple of years. It changes and evolves with time as the child grows, which makes it more difficult sometimes. The child is an infant. You deal with the child in one way. And when the child becomes a teenager, it's a completely different picture. Does it ever there, end?
1: Does it ever end? No, age? it never yeah. ends.
0: <laughs> it okay. Never ends. Even with grown children, you have to know how to advise them.
1: Mm-hmm. So, you what know, are still, some what are some tips or some practical ideas of how parents can impact their children?
0: Well, the first is the most obvious. You have to you have to be a role model. Whatever it is that you're preaching to the child, you have to make sure that you are a role model. Mm -hmm. That's the most obvious. There are other things that the Rebbe spoke about. Um, When a child views a parent and sees the parent acting in a certain way, I'm sorry, the the child may not understand why the parent made this choice or do X, Y, and Z. It's incumbent upon the parent to explain to the child... I could have done this, I could have done that, but I chose to do this. And the reason I chose to do this is because of. We do this this way because. So the child is learning not just what's going on, but why. The child learns to respect the parent, because the parent is not doing things uh, just because it happens to be convenient. But the parent has made a choice. The parent has decided, I want to do things thusly because this is what I, the outcome that I'm looking for.
1: So it's never do as I say because I said it. You know, as some parents will do, will say it will yes. be explaining why you say what you're saying.
0: From the Rebbe's perspective, that's blasphemy, because what you're essentially saying to a child is, you don't count. It's about me. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I want you to be the best, and therefore you're going to do everything I say because I'm going to make you. That doesn't work today. It doesn't never worked. Mm-hmm. The Rebbe said over and over that the role of a parent is to reach the child. So it's child-oriented, child-centered. That's the process of education. And within the home, too, to train a parent, or a parent has to train him or herself, to put the child's needs, when you're talking to the child, the child's needs first. The child's need at this moment, and that's very, very important, at that moment, given What the child is experiencing, when you're talking to the child, what does the child need to hear from me? That's what the Rebbe wanted. And that's very impactful. Because if the child recognizes that everything you're doing really is in his or her best interest, so even if they're lending you a deaf ear right now, the impact will be felt in five and sometimes ten and twenty years hence. Mm -hmm. My father said this, my father said that. As we grow up, we experience it all the time.
1: Yeah, because you do quote how the parent, how the Rebbe said, how you should say it again and again, you know, how the parent needs to do it in a correct way, in a positive way, but he should not tire about speaking about the issue once, twice, or three times until it reaches the child.
0: Right. The Rebbe also said, however, you need to vary what you say and carefully decide when to say it. And there are times when uh, it's better not to say something at the moment, put it off, find another way to reach the child. It's all part of saying.
1: Can you give an example? Like how, what would that be?
0: If the child comes home distraught, then what you really want to do at that moment is calm the child. But when you get down to it and you get into the issue and you start examining why the child was distraught, then you need to talk to the child completely differently. It may very well be the child was overly sensitive about something. It may be uh, that the child experienced a failure and that's why the child was distraught. And then you need to encourage the child differently.
1: Mm -hmm. And what if you try to explain the child something and they don't, it doesn't happen. Like they don't understand it or they don't take your perspective.
0: Yeah, then you're a normal parent. Right, no, exactly. <laughs> and something that a kid doesn't get.
1: <laughs> Especially teenage years, and the child just doesn't get where you're coming from. So then what?
0: Look, uh, teenagers are a completely different, uh, di- different uh, kettle of wax. Yeah. Teenagers need to develop independence, and therefore the first place they're becoming independent from is their parent. Mm-hmm. But as teenagers, they're listening acutely to what you say. It's just that they're storing it differently. The listening, and I, I don't have to follow what you do, what you say right now. I believe what you're saying is correct, but I can't tell you that, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et so it has to be much more subtle. And the discussions with the child don't necessarily need to be a, a face-to-face discussion at this moment. It can be dropping a word here, dropping a word there, but to show the child I'm here for you, mm-hmm. and in the process. You know, teenagers will turn to a parent when, when they need the parent. Right now, I need you, so come here. Then then you go away, or then I'll mm-hmm. go away. Mm-hmm. And at those moments, to carefully analyze what you want to say, say it in such a way so that the child is is the objective, and you, you say it child-centered, and the child may or may not respond immediately, but that's what you need to do.
1: Mm-hmm. You also write about how the says involve sometimes, probably especially with teenagers, their friends, because children will listen to their friends at some point, their peers, especially as teenagers, more than the influence of the parent. How can a parent do that?
0: Well, any psychologist will tell you that the the peers are much more important than the parents during the teenage years. Mm-hmm. You, know, you want to make sure you get through the teen years without uh, being too embarrassed by my by my uh, friends. And that my, my parents shouldn't embarrass me too much. It's subtle. It, you, you can't appeal to a friend, please befriend my child. Right. That, that's not happening. But you can uh, invite children over to the home. Your children can invite children over to the home. And when children do come over, you need to see that their experience, not just your children's, but the others, is also a pleasant one. So that the parent says, you know what? you got cool parents. I know that you don't think so, but your parents are Mm -hmm. pretty cool. And that impacts the child as well. So you're going around about, perhaps not directly, but you are involving the child's peers.
1: And what if the child doesn't have what you consider good peers? or peers that are going to influence them positively.
0: Helping a child choose friends is something that sounds, that starts very, very early on. And the Rebbe said that you want to encourage your child to find the best friends, so to speak. What are the best friends? The best friends are youngsters who will impact him positively. So if you see a child as being friendly with somebody who is impacting him negatively, um, you can subtly say to the child, oh, I thought you so-and-so was your friend. So-and-so is, is, is so much, such a, a, a nicer person. Look at his Midos, Look at his, his personal character traits. Why, oh, I'm, I'm impressed by so-and-so's uh, interpersonal reactions and how he relates to you and others. So the child gets a subtle message that, or maybe not so subtle, that this is the way we need to do things. The right. way so-and-so is a better friend for me and I can probably embrace him rather than somebody who's impacting me negatively.
1: Right. From what I hear though from parents, some of these so-called really good kids are less accepting. It's usually the kids that are not the considered the good kids that are more unconditionally accepting, and that's why kids who are struggling will generally befriend kids who are those, you know, who who just accept them unconditionally.
0: Well, we can talk about that for a while, but it's off the topic. What the Rebbe said was that you need to be able to see that the friends that your child brings home feel comfortable in in your surroundings and environment. Mm -hmm. The environment has to be an environment of Kedusha, sanctity. And the children who come into your home need to feel a certain sense of being uplifted, being appreciated for who they are. They need to feel comfortable in your home. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And even if, you know, the child is not necessarily the most popular child, we all know that, you know, we wish our children were the most popular. The most popular are not the ones that we really want them to be friends. But if the peers feel that this is a comfortable place and a special place, we don't use language that we ought not to be using in this particular home, um, certain things are not accepted in this home, and yet the the, the peers feel comfortable there, it encourages the child.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so this is really very subtle but important ways that parents could kind of, create a circle around the child to create an environment that they want without the child actually realizing what they're doing,
0: Very well but being,
1: said. But being exactly. very involved. Exactly. Okay. okay. You, you you quote there from the Rebbe that even when parents are sure that they are 100% correct, it is unwise to follow each of their child's moves and direct their conduct. I thought that was a very interesting quote. Um, does this refer to a specific age? It's so hard as parents to just sit back and watch their child make a mistake, sometimes a very large mistake, sometimes a very life-costly mistake. mistake. So how how, can you you broaden that? Can you explain that a little bit?
0: First, we're not talking about infancy or childhood. Mm -hmm. We're talking about teenagers.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And if you don't give a child his or her space, they'll create their own. And if they need to do so uh, subversively they'll do it as well so you must give a child his or her space however at the same time you need to create a dialogue that if the child has an issue or a problem that you will non-judgmentally be able to look from the child's perspective how to deal with that issue if the child learns to trust the parent that's what the Rebbe stressed all the time to trust the parent because the parent has not just only the child's best interest at heart, every parent does, but that the child feels that the parent um, understands him or her, that the parent is not just there to criticize behaviors that he or she doesn't approve of, but understands that the child is a human being and will make mistakes, then the child is more likely than not, when they make a mistake, to come back and lick their wounds and say, how can you help me with this? Mm -hmm. I made a mistake, yes. Don't harp on the mistake, but what can I do now to fix it? Help me with it.
1: Right. So I, I guess it's the child picking up on the fact that the parent cares about them, not about the parent's reputation or how people look at the parent, but it's solely focused on what's good for my child right now.
0: And the child's particular needs at a particular time given the child's abilities and the child's ambitions you know it, it gets complex but yes it's all about the child not about the parent or right. about the the, the, the child's uh, impact upon the the other children and the family and so forth and so on
1: right and what if the child is impacting on other children
0: the rabbit drew a line there you have to make sure that if there's a negative impact that it is balanced with positive as well the fact that mean? there are children who rebel we have to understand the rebelliousness of children we have to accept the fact that the, the nature of children is that they will be rebellious to various degrees but that so and so is acting out but this is what we do here this is the positive thing that we do at our home we don't necessarily have to rebel in that way that's his particular need to act differently
1: but that's when a child is, is is when a child is rebelling isn't that they're looking for uh, you know a deeper something deeper than what they're seeing isn't it that they're rebelling against something that they don't like about what they're seeing maybe a hypocrisy or maybe feeling that it's not for their benefit you know in other or words a demand
0: a, a, that or is to, too hard Right. or a parent who doesn't understand the child mm-hmm. or child feels boxed in mm-hmm. uh, so the i don't mean rebel in the worst way right now we're talking about rebellion the child is putting up uh what a typical teenager does i'm not doing mm-hmm. it i can't do it i don't want to do it i know mm-hmm. i uh, the no mm-hmm. and and that no has to be tempered a little bit mm-hmm. you, you, you're saying no but When the time comes for you to discuss this from from a perspective that I can help you with, please come back and I will help you with it. Mm -hmm.
1: So does the parent put down red lines? Is that what you're saying?
0: The Rebbe wanted the lines of dialogue never to be cut. Mm -hmm. That the parent always has to have a dialogue with the child and the parent must feel that the child needs to have the parent as an advisor When they feel they need it. When they're ready. So the child needs to feel, I will be accepted. When I feel needed, when I feel I need to do this, I can come to my parents and they will look at me non-judgmentally to try to help me out from where I am.
1: So you're never never saying you're not accepted. You're always accepting. Never,
0: ever, and ever.
1: Right. 100%. Okay, so um, nowadays media is such, I mean, the Rebbe spoke about media, about electronic media to which a child is exposed. I think this is relevant now even more than ever with social media and with internet and all that. Um, and you, you uh, well, let me, let me quote this because I feel it's, it's so important and so, re- so relevant. Um, parents may do all that they can to infuse their home with meaning and moral purpose, but they have no control over what a child is exposed to by outside sources. Such media may have a set set of values diametrically opposed to Torah values. The Rebbe did not advocate separation from society, but also warned against accepting all cultural norms. So In today's day and age, when everyone, or at least your child tells you everyone is connected to social media or internet or et cetera, et cetera, what does a parent do when they feel their child is being exposed to negative influences in that means?
0: I think that's the biggest challenge of our time. In fact, the Rebbe saw it as the biggest challenge 40 years ago, Mm -hmm. but certainly in our time, it's the biggest challenge. Our exposure, uh, our exposure, the children's exposure is just so extreme and we have no control over it. And it is, as you quoted, diametrically opposed to everything the Torah stands for. Torah values are constantly being challenged. That's the problem. Now, the the Mm -hmm. Rebbe wanted, there are certain things the Rebbe said that we didn't understand fully then, we understand it better today. The Rebbe said, the sanctity of a child's home has to be unquestioned. What's acceptable in this home? So certainly we need to limit the media accessibility that every child has. Okay, that goes without saying. Uh, All kinds of stuff that we can do to reduce the impact of the media. But then we need to create sanctity within the home. How do I expose a child to media And say media is not evil, it's just how it's used. Because I bring the things to the table that I want the child to be exposed to through the media. Mm -hmm. So the child can watch a video of X, Y, and Z and see a film about X, Y, and Z because it's a positive thing. Because the child is going to be impacted positively. And we create a kind of a cocoon at home. And the same thing within the child's room. We, the, the house needs to be filled with books. The Rabbi told bias Rabbi Yismal him to fill a house with books. Which it didn't mean put books on the shelf. It meant that we need to see that the children learn to read books on their own and to find the enjoyment of reading. And then we give them the kinds of books that we want them to read.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We make them available to the child. Mm-hmm. Media available to the child. And we let the children know, straightforward, that this is what's acceptable here. Other things are not acceptable because it it comes from an alien source to us. Remember, you have a neshama. Your neshama is impacted by what you see and what you hear. And therefore, be careful about what you hear and what you see. And the Rebbeinu Shalom told us that uh, 3,500 years ago. Do not be drawn by what's attractive to your heart and to your mind.
1: So what, you're, so what you're saying, I think, is um, counteract the negative with a lot of with just suffusing so much positivity that a parent should really figure out not how to say no, but how to replace the no with so much more good and healthy ways of, of the child.
0: Very well said. The Rebbe said that all the time. Mm-hmm. To infuse the home and the child's life and, and surroundings with Kedusha, with sanctity. And to make that positive, to make to do it in such a way that the child doesn't feel I'm obligated or obliged to do X, Y, and Z. I have a privilege. I'm able to do this. Look at what I have at home. And, and I, guess ma-
1: I guess to make it fun also, to make the whole to make fun. it
0: Exactly, to make right. it interesting and fun and enjoyable and to invite other children in to see how this can be fun. Mm-hmm. And does that mean the child won't look at something he or she ought not to? You know we're human beings, but the child will know right from wrong. Mm-hmm.
1: So, if all my child's friends are having a medium that I don't approve of, how would the Rebbe react to that? Do I allow it? Do I not allow it? Um, do after I'm trying to counteract with all this positivity, and the child still wants it, what do we say to our children?
0: We lay down the law. Mm-hmm. This is something we don't do. Mm-hmm. We children growing up here in our house, we have some rules here, and these rules are not meant just to be able to control what you do, but they impact you in a positive way. We want you to make sure that the things that you're exposed to are kosher things and things that will help you grow both spiritually and ethically and morally. And just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean that much. Right. And it doesn't mean everybody's doing it either, you know. Right. Everybody's doing.
1: Right. Um, I want to talk a little about miracles that uh, you said that the, you, you write in here that the Reverend was very encouraging to speak to children about miracles, to speak about stories from sadikim, holy, righteous people. What if when we speak about these miracles, a child feels, well, why isn't it happening to me? Or what if they become cynical at one point to feel like this isn't all real? This is just fables that I was taught.
0: Right. The Rebbe asked that at the very earliest stages in life, children learn gradually that there is another dimension to life, that there's a spiritual dimension which is not obvious, that God is not obvious to his creatures, and therefore that spiritual dimension which includes his own special neshama, his own soul, that dimension is is a gift from God, and it connects him to spirituality and to God. And it has to be nurtured. The Rebbe taught that for the very earliest uh, exposure of of three and four and five-year-olds, early childhood. And that we need to nurture their faith. Not just faith as in Amunah, but Bitochon. Their faith, their reliance upon God's mercy when that's the only avenue we have. Or to say it differently, when you're doing things as positively as you can, and you're acting in good faith, you need to feel also that God is on your side, that God is helping you. And we try to get children to feel that way too. How do we point that out? We point at nature. Show them wonderful the wonders of nature and the things around them. We teach them about things that are happening that are inexplicable, and yet things worked out. And the children learned that over and over. So something gets ingrained in them that there is another dimension, which is beyond my understanding, which demands faith. And it needs to be repeated and taught at various levels and stages, each at their own complexity. And never to just say, this is the way it is. To try to give a child an understanding that there is beyond uh, that which he sees in the obvious. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: That's the beginning of the process. So therefore, miracles, teaching a child about how things miraculously happened in the the past, or teaching biblical stories and so forth, are the underpinnings upon which you build. And anytime you see something which is the divine hand of God, look how this worked out. Look how wonderfully this worked out. Did you expect it? You hoped, but did you expect it? Do you think that wasn't the hand of God there? Mm -hmm. And It's a slow process where the child is inculcated with the idea that there is a God's, um, that God is watching over him, that there's God's involvement in everything that he does.
1: And when a teen responds to that, but that never happens to me. Right. Teen is
0: cynical. That's the nature of the teen. Mm -hmm. But if you point out something, you see so-and-so. Look at that. That was really unexpected, but here's the Yad Hashem, here's the divine hand.
1: Mm-hmm. So just keep pointing it out, and even though the child outwardly seems to be cynical, it is entering.
0: Something is entering, and something is being, the child is being, it's being ingrained upon the child one way or another.
1: Right. Um, I found it also interesting, you know, the Rebbe was talking about how we should, Children should be, we should have high religious standards for our children when they grow up. And I think some parents feel like, am I supposed to brainwash my child to such high levels? Is there such a thing as independent thinking for children? Where does the line cross from brainwashing to independently trying to to raise independent children who are thinking on their own?
0: Right. Well, brainwashing, the nature of brainwashing is that it doesn't allow questioning. It doesn't allow doubt. And that's the the diametrically opposed to everything we stand for. Mm -hmm. You should question, you should try to understand. You should also understand that there are certain things that are beyond our understanding, but you should try to understand. And that's what the Rebbe was a proponent of, a very strong proponent of. You have to address questions. You have to talk to a child on his level and address his concerns. And when you get beyond the level of the child, you stop. You don't need to try to explain to a child something which is beyond his, his ability to understand. Mm-hmm. But as they grow older, the children will begin to question more, and you respond more and answer more, and show that in your own life you have choices to make, and you're making this choice because you believe X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. That's a strong and impactful statement to a child.
1: Right, right. Um, moving on to schools, you know, the Rebbe was very encouraging of a moment of silence in public schools. What was the hope? What did the Rebbe want with that? Can you explain that?
0: Well, the, what the Rebbe wanted is it, it's not just that Jewish children need to be exposed to godliness, that everybody, the underpinnings of all moral and ethical values, need to be godliness. Mm-hmm. And therefore, since you can't teach religion in a school, A moment of silence, as the Rebbe said, his parents will tell him what to think about. But think about a higher being. Think about that there is a need for every human being to believe that there is purpose to life. That we're not here accidentally. Mm -hmm. That there is meaning to our life. And the Rebbe wanted forcefully to see that all children across the board uh, get that, that concept ingrained upon them early. And that's what the moment of silence was about. Right. Look at what we look like today. I mean, I don't want to talk about uh, the, the uh, effects of Dr. Spock's ideas of leaving, let ch- letting children choose whatever and suffer the consequences. We have a whole hedonistic society that's grown out of that. Mm-hmm. You know, self-absorbed people who care about only themselves and so forth, only their self-interests. Mm-hmm. which is diametrically opposed to everything the ever stood for. They ever wanted us even to inculcate children with the idea that they have a responsibility to see that others who suffer, who have a need, are their responsibility. You need to be able to contribute toward, whether it's one way or another, but to relieve the suffering or difficulties that others are feeling. So a child who is, who is having difficulty in school, you need to befriend and help that child. Cause it and so, forth.
1: so you mean the moment of silence is a way of a child looking beyond themselves, beyond being absorbed with themselves to see a bigger
0: picture? To see a bigger picture, but more than that to understand that all of his hopefully ethical and moral development all is ingrained upon him because it's a divine thing, not something that man has devised. Mm-hmm. And if it's divinely inspired, so therefore it has different meanings but right. if something comes it's merely something which, which was thought up a couple of years ago by some old man sitting in a 5 in a, in a tower someplace I'm not interested
1: mm-hmm. right um, can you tell us a little about the Rebbe's attitude towards co-ed schools and why he had that attitude
0: the Rebbe did not see co-education as merely a religious issue the Rebbe saw it as an educational issue and as an ethical and moral issue. The Rebbe felt that when children are distracted when they're in school, especially in their teen years or even the preteen years, they're naturally distracted by the opposite sex in school. They neither learn properly, A, nor do they behave the way they need to behave because they're showing off for X, Y, and Z as well. And it undermines their ability to be able to develop the way they need to. So the Rebbe saw that just not just as a religious issue, but this imperative, as he saw it, was a moral issue, an educational issue. I, I don't want to be, di, you know, digress now into understanding uh, how some of the ills of society that are related to, um, to this. A merging of of, uh, of genders and so forth, what's happened over here are in a very strong way connected to the way we looked at co-education. Mm-hmm. We threw children together and expected them to turn out to be X, Y, and Z and they never did.
1: Well, some people would argue separating them so much from from when they're young until they're older makes each gender not learn how to accept the other gender or talk to the other gender? What would you say to that?
0: Right. So that would lead us to conclude, therefore, that those who are brought up in <clears throat> in single education, not co-educational schools, uh, would have a very difficult time in their marriages mm-hmm. and in interpersonal relationships with the opposite sex, that there'd be so many more divorces in their in their families. Funny how it's the exact opposite, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right. How often do you hear of uh, the assault of teens who uh, are separated in school?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And let's not belabor that too much.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. The Rebbe also spoke a lot about the role of mother, of the mother in education. Um, Can you tell us a little about that? Why did the Rebbe feel the mother was so important? And how does that affect a woman who wants to have a career outside of her home?
0: the Rebbe was a fan of
1: mothers
0: (laughs) he was a fan of motherhood the Rebbe felt that that which a mother is able to achieve through gentleness a father can never achieve even through sternness that a parent the parents are endowed with different qualities and the gentleness and sensitivity of a mother impacts the child to make him a whole human being or her, a whole human being, and without that influence, the child grows up maimed, missing uh, the emotional connection that you need to be able to develop with other people, and that's a gift from mothers. Not a gift. Is that from
1: mothers. is that all mothers? What if the mother is a tough, t- tough personality?
0: Yeah, tough personality is a mother in the end. There are
1: mm-hmm. very
0: few mothers who are not mothers. Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to their own children, all that toughness melts away. Mm-hmm. The mother is a mother. And the Rebbe felt that the, the character, the refinement of character and the moral development of children is very highly dependent upon how their mother relates to children, the emotional bond. And that can't be replaced ever.
1: So does that mean that a, a mother cannot work out of the home? Why not? So you're it's saying not that, it's not matter how a, many hours
0: a day it is; it's the quality of the time that's spent. Right, right. right. Now, if a mother it, it spends all her time at uh, at the office doing whatever it is and comes home and brings home homework, you know, then the child will suffer.
1: Right, right. Um, I would just want to end with this powerful quote: "Parents do not own their children. God gave them children for safekeeping to raise and educate appropriately." What are your last thoughts
0: on parents for parents and how to do so? They need to think about their children first and their children's needs first and constantly revise that thinking, what my child needs today, rather than what he or she needed yesterday.
1: And what do you feel is our greatest challenge today as parents or parents ed- and educators?
0: The media. The media is our greatest challenge to create sanctity in the home. Mm-hmm. A cocoon of the home that has something completely different to offer from what the, the, the environment outside does. That's the greatest challenge. Our home needs to be different. We should treasure the difference and pride ourselves in the difference and create something in which children can grow optimally.
1: I think parents are just so busy with so many things on their shoulders and responsibilities. So I think it's, it's, it it takes a parent has to realize how important this is to really create that time and space in their minds even and homes to actually productively, you know, carry that out.
0: Very well said. Yeah, that's exactly what it is.
1: Okay, Rabbi Kaplan, thank you so much for joining us the education imperative guidance to parents and educators. Thank you so much for this very enlightening discussion. And may we all be the educators that the Rebbe envisioned for us
0: Thank you very much, Mrs. Weisberg, it's a pleasure.
1: Thank you for joining us.